Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tiger football. Here's your host, John Maddox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tigers Tonight. I'm your host, John Maddox, joined as always by the best co-co-host in all the land. We will start with our one member of the team who is voted most likely to be on the road, and he is indeed this evening on the road. Uh, He has had a fun time in the great state of Arkansas with traffic this afternoon. Larry Marley, how in the world are you, sir? I am finally firmly planted back in the great state of Tennessee, um, and I'm, I'm headed to Mississippi. I will simply say this, that, that I have spent quite a bit of time in, I was in Detroit earlier this, this week, and, um, and, and in so I was almost snowed in. I, rem- I, I tweeted out a story about some people that got snowed in in England with an Oasis um, cover band. And, and to my dismay, and I do say dismay, there was quite a few people on my timeline that had extensive knowledge of Oasis lyrics, and I am deeply disturbed by this. I'm just simply going to say that. Well, along those lines, uh, we'll go down to Brian, our friend in New Jersey, and Brian, today is going to be the day that we throw it back to you. How in the world are you, sir? Not too bad. It was a little bit of a warm front today. It was in the 40s, so I had a long sleeve shirt on today. Well, that, that's 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 very disheartening and unfortunate. Uh, we hit the 60s today, I think. So uh, weather's been pretty good down here. Before we get too deep into the two-lane game, a couple of notes I want to pass along. I will post later tonight. The uh, Tiger Toy Drive will be taking place over the next couple of weeks for fans to bring a toy to um, FedEx form. Let me see if I can pull up what Michael sent me. I actually read one of the emails I was sent. How about that? It's a good start for me. Uh, Let's see. The City of Memphis Toy Drive. Uh, Fans can bring a new unwrapped toy to the Memphis women's game on December 4th, uh, and they can bring a new unwrapped toy to the Memphis men's games on either December 10th or December 14th, and they will receive up to two free tickets to the Alabama State game on December 21st. So that's new unwrapped toys um, that you can bring in exchange for free women's admission and actually a free two free admissions to the Alabama State game. So, um, And then the other note from this afternoon, we will start uh, before we get into, again, too much about Tulane. Uh, Six members of the University of Memphis football team were named to the All-American Athletic Conference honors teams on Wednesday. Uh, Calvin Austin III was unanimously chosen to the first team, just one of three players to be unanimous. Uh, Sean Dykes and Dylan Parham and J.J. Russell uh, were also on the first team. And on the second team, John Tate IV and Quindell Johnson um, made it as well. So congratulations to those Tigers uh, for making the All-AAC team. Thought that was pretty good considering Memphis finished six and six. We had what's that six guys placed on the teams. Of course, the AAC player of the year was Desmond Ritter. The newcomer of the year was Alton McCaskill from Houston, uh, coach of the year, which I don't even want to get into is Luke Fickle, but I, I don't even want to get into my feelings on naming somebody coach of the year. Um, if you have the best team and the best players, Right, like, shouldn't you be coach of the like? Should you be coach of the year? You kind of did what was expected of you. Um, I'd have, I'd have given it to Mike Houston or Dana Holgerson. I mean, I just, but you know, what do, again? Houston what do I know? all the way, Mike Houston all the way, not even close. Yeah, I mean, what? Oh, you know, what do I know? Just 
right 90% of the time nobody listens. But anyway, enough complaining for me. Let's talk about a big win over Tulane on Saturday to get bowl eligible. 33-28 was the final score. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Just kind of your thoughts on what we saw on Saturday. Well, uh, you know, Memphis won. So, I mean, that's a positive. It wasn't, uh, you know, always easy. You know, you just kind of sweating there for, you know, for three of the quarters. But uh, that fourth quarter, you know, I think Memphis finally, finally hunkered down and got the job done. And I, I, I thought it would have been a little bit more of a margin, but hey, Memphis uh, got that six win. They're bowl eligible, and uh, I think Memphis fans should be happy about that. It's the heck out of the alternative. And like I tell people all the time, well, that was an ugly win. Well, at the end of the year, we count the ones on the left and the ones on the right, and you just want more on the left. Larry, what about you? Your thoughts on the game against Tulane on Saturday? So early in the game, um, early, I thought that our body language did not look good. And I thought, especially after we went through and out, then Tulane drives and scores a touchdown. And I thought um, defensively, Willie Fritz I, I was was really doing a good job. He and, and Chip Long were doing a good job mixing up plays. They ran, were running all over us. I was really concerned that our defense was going to wear down. And um, actually, the opposite happened. We we hunkered down and we we started generating some turnovers. And um, and I thought. We were very opportunistic offensively. Still couldn't run the football, but um, we were very opportunistic. And and we did a lot of really good things with the offense uh, against um, a Tulane team that, frankly, doesn't have – they don't have a good quarterback. Um, And I don't mean to say that negatively about the young man. He just did not play well Saturday. And, and, And we did what we had to do to win. Um, I wrote an article about uh, about, and I know we're probably going to talk about this, uh, about David Kemp and um, the job David Kemp did. Guys, um, we took advantage of our scoring opportunities, and 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 he made every field goal and every extra point. And to be honest with you, you win by five points. That's the difference in the game. And if we had had quality field goal kicking. All year, I'm just asking you guys this. How many wins, how many additional wins do you think we'd have? Three. Yeah, well, okay, three. I mean, we don't lose to Temple. We probably don't lose to Tulsa, and we probably don't lose to ECU. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, Je- our friend Jeb talked about this. When, when, you look at this, when you look at the season, again, I don't mean anything by what I'm about to say, you know, East Carolina, Tulsa, Tulane, whatever. There are four really bad losses in the AAC, historically speaking, over the long haul. East Carolina, Temple, Tulsa, and Tulane. We went one and three. And, yep. you know, if you want the Memphis season laid out in front of you, that's it. So I dug a little bit as we dig talk here about Tulane into some of the advanced statistics that we have. Um, one of them is something called rushing success rate. Now, what how you calculate this is you get your abacuses out, and it's based on the yards needed and adjusted for what down you're going. Above 50 is above average, and below 40 is below average. Um, 
Memphis had their next to lowest output of the season. They were 26. Uh, that's not good, by the way. That's that's really bad. And offensive success rate, 40 is below average. Uh, Tulane was 28 and Memphis was 33. Um, just not a great offensive game. And then one of the other things that, that we've all harped on individually, and I I'm, haven't got the chance yet to go back and look at the numbers from previous games, but they keep up with penalties as far as offensive versus defensive. Memphis had four offensive penalties in the football game, and three of them were pre-snap penalties. Um, Brian, that goes to what you talk about all the time with the self-inflicted wounds of just over and over and over again. We just just can't seem to get out of our own way sometimes. Yeah, it was a, it was a year-long problem. Um, you know, every game you're like, you know, is this a game that it, it finally ends? And it never did end. There was always something in every single game that they did to themselves. And, you know, at this point, well, actually at this point, the season's over. I mean, your regular season's over. So, I mean, you have to look at the coaching staff and be like, all right, what are you doing wrong? You know, at some point you have to, you know, to point the finger back at yourself and say, okay, what are we doing wrong as a coaching staff? that these kids continually do the same thing wrong over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other numbers that, that I attended that I wanted to see and looked at here tonight are, uh, yes, Memphis gave up 63% on third down again, 10 of 16, which is unacceptable. Memphis was a respect. I mean, 41% is a respectable third down, offensively speaking. That means four out of every 10 third downs, you're going to pick up a first down. We had an almost identical average distance to go on third down. Tulane was 6.2. We were 6.6. Third and long, Tulane was 2 of 4. Memphis was 2 of 5. Third and short, 1 to 4 yards. Tulane was 5 of 5, and Memphis was 2 of 7. And, Larry, when you talk about not having a running game and not being able to run the football you ain't got to – this is one you don't even have to watch the game. You can just circle that two of seven, and the problem jumps off the page at you. Absolutely. And the inability to you, – you, when you allow penetration into your backfield on third and short, that is just bully ball. You are just getting your ass kicked. And, guys, game after game after game, we would face third – Second and third, second or third and short, and be unable to get the first down. Just hey guys, you're just getting beat up front. And you know, one of the things that we talked about as far back as I know after UTSA is winning in the trenches, getting that right. If you're going to have pre-snap penalties you damn well better be firing off the ball. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, if you're going to have a pre-snap penalty, come on, man. Um, go, go out there and put a hat on somebody. Um, and, and so this has been a problem. And, and guys, if it doesn't get fixed in the offseason, it's going to be a long year next year. Because you've got – you cannot be one-dimensional. We just can't be because coaches will catch up to that. It's one thing to go into this season and have a little bit of an aberration, but we already were seeing coaches catch up to us 
even on first down, we've got to get a running game, a consistent running game, where we can create play-action passes. Because if we don't, if we're one-dimensional next year, oh boy, I'm just telling you, you're right, John, that's the problem. Well, we gained on first down, to your to your point, uh, we ran the ball 12 times for 26 yards on first down. That's an average of two and a half yards of carry. Tulane on first down ran it 15 times for 118 yards. That's 7.9 yards per carry. On third down, Tulane ran the ball 10 times for 101 yards and got six first downs. On third down, Memphis ran the ball seven times for 16 yards and got two first downs. There's your ball game. If you weren't drastically talent-wise better than Tulane was, Michael Pratt, I, I haven't watched him very much, but he was terrible. That, I was sitting there trying to think of the of now because we've obviously we've seen worse quarterbacks, you know, at, at much lower level teams, but boy, he was probably the worst one I saw this year because I don't really count Navy because that's not really fair to them because they do something differently. But from a Brian, from a quarterback perspective, Memphis is just very fortunate that Michael Pratt was just as bad as he was on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, he's, to me, he, he wasn't, he's not a bad quarterback in general. I think he just had a, you know, a, obviously a, a very bad game. Uh, I was trying to look up his, uh, his stats for the year. Um I mean, only had eight interceptions all year, 21 touchdowns. Uh, but he doesn't uh, – I think his problem is, you know, he's not very accurate. He was only 57% um, on the year. So, I mean, that's – he, that, he doesn't like – he doesn't like players coming in on him, Brian. I, I yeah. watched the game. When, when we started getting a little, a little pressure and collapsing the pocket around him, he gets happy feet. And he's his – but, well, and, and on that one, not not the first interception, but the second one where he basically threw it to two Memphis players, like if one guy didn't get it, the other guy was going to. Um, he, the pocket was collapsing, and his mechanics just broke down. I mean, it, it was you could tell like he does not like that. He like Ehlers was the complete polar opposite. Like you could have dudes hanging off of his arms, and he's throwing like darts. But Pratt's not that way. Like, he didn't like that. Well, I tell you, I, I did like Tajay Spears, the running back for Tulane. He, he, man, he had a game. He was 30 carries for 264 yards. Memphis had no answer for him whatsoever. Um, he only had a long of 57, so he came by him honestly. 8.8 uh, yards a carry. Memphis, on the other hand, Rodriguez-Clark, 11 carries, 28 yards. Asa Martin, who had an actual drive that, you know, I jokingly said on Twitter was the Asa Martin drive, only I wasn't joking. It actually was. It was a three-play drive, and he made all three plays. Um, and he carried it uh, once, actually, funny enough, once on that drive, uh, the one-yard touchdown to get in. And then Seth Hennigan, you know, Seth ran the ball 10 times and um, had a long of 14. I mean – that is the part of his game that I've kind of seen grow as the season's gone on. I think he's finally gotten comfortable with the thought of running the football and getting hit. Um, because, guys, people got to remember, Seth is 18 years old. Like, I asked him that in the post game. I said, what have you learned? You know, 
I said, because this time last year you were finishing, you had just finished the state championship in high school. So what have you learned this year? Like literally 360 days later, you know, you're a college freshman quarterback that's done something no Memphis freshman's ever done. And he said, I just, I've got to learn to be a better leader. I got to be more vocal. Um, and you saw that as the season went on. And he even said in the press conference, he said, I've got to become more sure of myself sometimes. And I thought I saw that, Brian, as, as the game kind of wore on. There were a couple times where he just – he went. Yeah, and if you notice, um, there's a, a Preston Brady and Grant Gannell has that thing with the Grind City uh, media. And when they had Seth on there, that they, they, they sort of picked on Seth that how quiet he is in the huddle. He's like, you know, and it, and when they have other players, uh, they talk about, you know, Hennigan and his just how, um, you know, kind, I guess kind, you know, because he's not, he's not being forceful. He's not out there. All right, let's do this, this, and this. He's still trying to find himself. And I think once he finds himself and becomes that leader, I think that's when he really takes his game to the next level. And, you know, as Memphis fans, hopefully that will be next year because uh, – We'll talk to us, you know, talk more about next year, you know, in the summer months and whatnot. But next year is is going to be an interesting year and a year that Memphis can't afford another six win season. And by the way, uh, Brian, you are legally obligated. That is uh, Peter Mortel, holder of the year award winner. <laughs> I forgot Preston about Brady. That. <laughs> let's let's make sure we get all that in there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I just I I, I have seen and I'm not flexing here and I know people don't think I am, but like I've seen him now in the post game grow too. like first couple of days, he, he wouldn't look at anybody, no eye contact, just, he's just, and, and if we're being real, he's a different guy. I mean, he's not your typical, he doesn't have swagger. Like that's uh, Devin Walker. And I talked about that one evening leaving the press box. Like he just doesn't have that quarterback swagger, but you know, quarterbacks can be, weird guys too um he's just he's different he's not like he's not as as put together as Brady was or um he wasn't as I guess forceful as uh Raleigh was he didn't have that kind of a personality Paxton was kind of goofy too he's probably much closer to Paxton than he is um either the other two guys like Brady we we kind of got spoiled because Brady was so polished and put together and but, you know, again, Seth is 18 years old, and it's important. I want fans to kind of reel it in a little bit because he's 18. Um, made a couple – I mean, he made one throw in the two-lane game that should have been a pick six. It was a horrible decision. And he will tell – he told us in the post he was like, that's probably the worst decision I made all year. It should have gotten intercepted. And that's part – to me, that's part of growth, right, is gaining that self-awareness to know, okay, I got lucky there. And then if I'm not – mistaken the next drive we came down we scored a te- a touchdown um so like to me that's that's what from the beginning has been impressive about Seth Larry is he has what all quarterbacks need to have a, a super short memory I call it on-field amnesia because you, you just got to let stuff go yeah and, and the other thing I was impressed with was his poise on the field so when when you are and, and I'll I'll talk I'll go back to the Tulsa game that I was at, you know, where everybody's sort of um body language is bad. He goes out on the field and leads a couple of touchdown drives and 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 honestly made a bad decision at the end of the game. But but um 
but that game was was he brought us back. He has a lot of poise, and by that I mean a guy when when the chips are down, he, you don't really see him sweat a whole lot. And 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 over the year, I think he's eventually going to be a really really good fourth quarter quarterback. I think he may already be a good fourth quarter quarterback, but. What I I think the biggest growth I've seen out of him has been his ability to take a take a a team and put it on his back for a drive. Just I'm going to you talked about the scrambling plays, but I, when the play breaks down, I'm going to make a play. And he did that several times in Tulane, and honestly, he did that several times in the Houston game too, um, where I thought, oh wow, he he just he took a play that broke down and made something out of it. One of the things, guys, and, and, and you can talk about this uh, all year, he had very few negative yardage plays all year. Yeah, he got sacked some, but in truth, he, he very rarely took you know a 10- or 15-yard loss. He was always going forward, and so that, yeah, he got sacked, but it may have been a two- or three-yard sack. There's a heck of a difference between being second and 13 and second and 18. And, and to me, I thought, again, I thought his poise and his ability to make plays when, when the play called play broke down, I thought that was most impressive. A note about the defense, J.J. Russell continued his absolute tear this year. As he, uh, he finished with 10 tackles in the quarterback hurry. All in all, the Memphis, the Memphis defense, three sacks, five tackles for loss, two interceptions, six pass breakups, six QB hurries, two forced fumbles, and they still gave up 305 yards on the ground. Um, but that is kind of the ultimate bend but don't break philosophy, I think. Like, that's that's what I feel that is. That is like we decided that uh, Spears was going to get his. Like, he's going to get his. And it's almost like in the NBA, right, where you say, okay, we can't stop uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and whoever the third guy was, it varied from night night. Or we'll just say that. Okay, we can't stop Michael. So the deal is let's slow Pippen down enough. Jordan's going to get his. Let's not let Pippen get his. Like that's that's where the problem comes in when you're playing high powered offenses, is you just you got to pick one. And that's where coaching comes in during the game, too, right? Is you go, okay, we are not run blocking worth a crap tonight. Like this is just not happening. Uh, or we're not run defense enough tonight, so let's put all the pressure we can on the quarterback, maybe get an interception or two and get a couple fumbles or, you know, hit some guys and get some loose balls. And, look, Brian, the strategy worked. I mean, again, you look at the stat sheet and you go, oh, my God, because I did it. We gave up 305 rushing yards. But you look at the behind-the-number stuff and you go, well, you know what? That was probably going to happen anyway. So we just should be thankful that the rest of the defense kind of picked that up. Yeah, Uh I don't know you still would rather not have someone rush over 200 on you. I mean, because when you take a look at uh, his numbers before the Memphis game, I, I think the most he's he had this year was 111. Yeah, he had 600 yards coming in total. Yeah, so I mean, just you know, Memphis defense. That's you know, I, I said it in the in the preseason that I wasn't worried about the defense. Boy, I'd never been more wrong. I, I think in my sports prediction life because uh, next year. I think all my worries are defense. Um, so, go, you know, going into the, the ball game, you know, the, it's a good thing they have those extra practices because you're definitely going to need it. And and that's been a problem all year. Uh, this is just this defense. It, it makes no sense. 
And yeah, it, yeah, because it, Memphis, it, when you on paper, Memphis should have a pretty darn good defense because they have talent on the defensive side. Yeah, it, it, it's been kind of mind boggling at times to to watch this defense struggle so much and struggle mightily um, at very important time. And the the thing that's bothered me all year, Larry, more than anything, I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't say I don't care about yards, but I really don't care about yards. But, man, you cannot give up 60% on third down consistently, and the Tigers are right at 50% on the year, 125th in the country out of 130. That is ridiculous, and it's utterly ridiculous. And here, and he, we, we gave up we gave up first downs, third and long, third and short, um, continually got uh, gashed with the run. There was, there was a third and 12. In this game, and and, and and look, Willie Fritz is a tremendous play caller. And I'm, I'm going to go on a rant in a little bit about where we're at. But anyway, um, but Willie Fritz and Chip Long are both really good play callers. And they called – it was a great call. It was a, a simple trap play up the middle off of a, a little um, – uh, they had a, a nice little setup. And they got a first down on third and 12 with a, a run play up the middle. And it was all because they could look at our defense and they knew exactly what we were going to do just by our alignment. And, and so, guys, what that told me, and I'm sitting there watching this going, they know exactly where our guys are going. There was no disguise. There was no cover. Um, I mean, we never ran one stunt play out of our set uh, four, three or three, four. Not one time that I recall, did we run a stunt? What's a stunt? That's where your, your down lineman drops. It's sort of like a zone blitz where the down lineman drops back and a guy, one of your linebackers crosses over in front of him. And, and you run a little stunt like that so that you don't know, okay, if, 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 if in this alignment, he's going to go here because Willie Fritz and Chip Long knew exactly where we were going to go. And they knew exactly when to run the football. And, and it's not just Willie and Chip. All year, guys have known exactly how to attack our defense on third down. That is the only way you have, what, 60%, John? Is that what you said? 60%? Yeah, they were 62% on Saturday. Well, no, let me say, for the year, we've been 50-something oh, percent? Uh, 48.02%. Okay. So we've given up 48% on third down. So that uh, which means, is a little bit better than – Not really. I mean – That's still terrible. That's still terrible, right? It's still horrible because you should be less than 40% ideally and, and more like in the 30s, like low 30s. So, so that just – guys, I'm just – go ahead. The number 60 team, which happens to be our friends from Oxford, is at 38%. They gave up 60, and, and here's a statistical oddity. You wouldn't think this would happen, but there are four teams tied for third, for 60th. They all had the exact same number of attempts and the exact same number of conversions, 171 attempts, 65 conversions. That is a statistical oddity that should never happen. Memphis had 202 attempts and 97 conversions. Let, let me say that again. 202 attempts and 97 conversions. 202 times. So here's my thinking, Brian. 
if I see something 202 times through the year, I should be able to figure out how to stop it more than a little bit over half the time. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that was uh, that plagued Memphis all year. And going into the offseason, it has to be addressed. I think this may be a more important offseason than when Fuente left and you're like, okay, who's who's going to take it over and continue building this thing? I, I really do because it's this it's already been built and you, you can start see cracks. And if you're not careful, you can see the way down. And oh, you know, yeah, that, that should scare oh, you're you. right. You're right. Yeah. And, right. you know, here, not, here, right. here's the thing about that, Brian. You bring up a great point. When we left Fuente and we got Mike, Mike just did a good job of just building on top of it. Now, look, I'll give Ryan a lot of grace for last year because, like, when I look at stats, and this is probably not the right thing to do. Like, I don't even figure last year. Like, I don't count them for football. I don't count them for basketball because it's just it was an impossible year for everybody involved. So I go back to 19. But now this year, you haven't had any um, games canceled. Yes, you lost players, but guess what? Everybody around the country did. Um, And during this podcast, please raise your hand if you too have entered the transfer portal. Um, I have not. I'm going to honor my commitment, unlike Lincoln Raleigh, which I think is great. We'll talk about the second half of the podcast. Um, I just put my name in. I think this year is what we are like right now. Now that's not to say we, because ideally look, I told everybody that would listen to me this year that if you lose Brady white, DeMonte Coxie, Kenny Gainwell and all that, if you lose all of that, the offense is going to take a step back. I do not care if Joe Montana was sitting on the sideline. I did, didn't care if it was Grant, didn't care if it was Seth, Peter, Keelan didn't matter. When you lose the talent we lost, you're going to take a step back. The hope that people like Brian had this year is, well, we are a senior-laden and super senior-laden defense and juniors and, you know, redshirt sophomores and a lot of guys getting an extra year. So can the – and I said it in the pre, pre, preseason. We need the defense to carry us the first four or five weeks and let the offense get their feet underneath them. Well, week two, the defense goes out and gives up 50 points. And offense scores 55, and everybody's like, oh, problem solved. We'll just outscore everybody this year. Well, Arkansas State was terrible defensively. And so that was kind of more of an um, anomaly than it was a trend. And then you saw the offense just would sputter at times, and the defense wouldn't hold up their end of the bargain. And I can't recall a single game this year where it all came together. Not one. And, and that's concerning because in the past, what we've seen at Memphis is, and I talked about this with Cincinnati this year, like Memphis had an absolute clunker in 2011 or 2019 at Tulsa. Like that was a clunker. That's a game we had zero business winning. But that's when great teams are going to have a clunker is when they go on the road on a Thursday or I forget what it was, Thursday or Friday night to a team with a relative pulse um, that, that apparently had eligible athletes. Like that's when, that's when great teams are going to, are going to kind of slump. 
Well, this year was kind of weird because we saw that with SMU, although SMU had some external issues now that are clear that was going on. Um, we had a habit this year playing up to our competition, but the problem is our margin for error as the year went on shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank. So now when the offense doesn't play well and the defense doesn't play well or they alternate and you're getting nothing out of special teams, you kind of get what you got. So we were who we thought we were at the end of this season, with all apologies, Denny Green. Um, and Larry, I know you got things to say about this, but we are where we are. Like, like let's let's get that in the open. <clears throat> and, and I'll be abundantly clear. I'm never an advocate for firing anybody. N- never. Like, I have two things I don't do. I don't tell people who stay hire and fire, and I don't try to spend anybody else's money. Life go a long way if you do those two things. So we are where we are. The question is, is where we are with what we have good enough to get back to where we want to be? No. And I'll tell you why. So let's, let's talk about what I, what we've seen all year is that, is that in general, we, we did not, we do not have good play calling. We haven't seen good play calling on defense and We've seen okay play calling on offense, but not good. I would say we are one dimensional. We, we, we just went through the stats. So we know like our play calling on defense hasn't been great. In general, at a school like Memphis, you need a good to elite play caller on one side of the ball. Pick, pick your side. With the resources we have, that's going to mean that you need to hire – it's probably going to be a head coach. You're going to have to pay. Look, a good play caller is going to cost you a couple of million dollars a year. Let's just say it for what it is. If you're going to be good at something, you're going to get paid for it, right? Memphis needs an elite play caller on one side of the ball. You can pick your side. Cincinnati has Luke Fickle. He's a really good defensive coach. He is. He knows what he's doing. He went out and hired an offensive coach, but you've got a defensive coach. Let's, you know, we just talked about Willie Fritz, very good play caller, elite play caller, head coach. With the resources Memphis has, you cannot afford to pay someone $2 million who is not a good play caller on one side of the ball. You can't do it. We're not Alabama. We can't go hire Bill O'Brien. We can't go hire Steve Sarkeesian. We cannot go hire Lane Kiffin. Um, we, we can't hire Kirby Smart, um, Mike Loxley. Just keep, keep, keep naming off names. We can't afford that. So, the, I'm not a, again, I'm not a proponent of firing anybody. I'm simply saying we are paying – how much are we paying Mr. Silverfield? <laughs> Two, three million dollars? Guys, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I can look it up. That was but, in the two range. One, one, well, it's more than one five. One whatever seven five. it is. One point seven five. Okay, so we're paying him almost two million dollars a year, and he's not an elite play caller on either side of the ball. He's not. He it, it, and in order for us to succeed, this is just my opinion, and you can take this for what it is. But with the budget that we have, and the way that our program is built. We need to hire, and, and the way we've done it in the past is go and hire an elite offensive play caller, 
Justin Fuente, Mike Norvell, and go and, and, and we've had mixed results with the defensive coordinators that they've hired. Let's say it for what it is. They go hire a defensive coordinator, eh, eh, you know, have a couple of bad years. Then you find a good defensive coordinator. But, but that's, that's how it's worked, guys. And what we've got right now is we're paying someone almost $2 million who's not an elite play caller on either side of the ball, and we've got to find and pay an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. And I don't think we have the resources to find good enough coordinators on both sides of the ball and be competitive. I'm going to leave it at that. And, and that is just an economic reality. And if you're in Memphis, go ahead. No, I, I can't really agree with that because, you know, I look okay, at – Okay, go for it. Well, all right. So scoring, I'm just going to do scoring offense in the AAC. You've got uh, Cincinnati leads the league in scoring. Well, Luke Fickle is okay. not the reason Cincinnati leads the league in scoring. He got an offensive play caller. Uh, Houston leads the league and is second in the league. SMU, UCF, Memphis. So Memphis is behind basically four or, or three what I would consider elite-level play callers. Um, Sonny Dykes, for all that the hell I give him, is a great play caller. But see, here, here's, what Memphis, here's what Memphis has to do. If Memphis says we are going to hire, and, and again, I don't mean any disrespect to anyone when I say this, Memphis hired a game manager as a head coach. And, and again, I'm not trying right. to be disrespectful. They hired somebody to caretake the game and manage the game and basically be the director of player personnel on the sidelines every Saturday. That's fine. But to your point, what you can't do is you can't have mid, thanks MJF, your offensive and defensive coordinators can't be mid. Like, you, you're right, you have to have an elite one or the other. But I don't think it's resources. I think it's fit, a willingness to change, um, using the best of what you have. I, you know, I guess, but when he first came here, I didn't really consider Justin to be a great play caller. What I considered that Justin did better than anybody before him is he looked at the pieces of the puzzle that were was in front of him, and he figured out how to make those puzzle pieces make Memphis the best they could possibly be. I, th- I don't think it's an either-or. I think, well, it is an either-or, but I don't think it's as simple as we go hire an offensive guy. No, no, I th- no. I, I think you need to either be an elite play caller. You need, Well, let me back up. You need to have an elite play caller at some position on your staff. It doesn't have to be the head coach. Or well, you have to have a guy that knows how to do more with less. Like, to me, that's the key, right, is Mike and Ryan – elevated Memphis's recruiting. Justin did it a different way. He looked at the kids Memphis had and said, we're going to do this. And, and I think that's where we caught, we all kind of diverge in the woods is an elite play call. You're right. They're expensive. They're not cheap, but elite doesn't elite and young doesn't necessarily cost you a ton of money, but you have to be willing to do something that no college football program is ever willing to do anymore and trust a process. My problem with where we are is where Memphis is, is I don't feel like there's a process. No, there's not. My my thoughts. Well, well, let me get my thoughts in here because to me, it's, it's 
if with this year, it's personnel. We already said you lost Brady White. Uh, I mean, to me, look at Kevin. Look what Kevin Johns did last year. I mean, what was Memphis's total offense last year? They were they were top twenty five, and you lose a lot of personnel from that offense. I mean, do, did we really? I don't remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember questioning play calling as much last year than I did this year. And I think a lot of that is because of the personnel. So to me, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not too worried that, uh, you know, Silverfield's not a great play caller or whatever, because I think Kevin Johns, I, I don't mind his play calling. I, but for his play calling, I think you need, you know, better personnel than what, what, than what he had this year. Cause look what he had last year. And you were top 25. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I get it. And look, the injuries are real. Like that, that's a real thing. 25% of our roster missed at least one game this year. 48 players missed at least one game this year. And that sucks. But do you know what great coaches do when that happens? They do what Justin Fuente did. When Justin Fuente walked on campus at the University of Memphis, we had seven offensive linemen on scholarship. Seven. Memphis had seven offensive linemen. The average college football roster carries – Depending on the coach, 16 to 19. Now, did Memphis go out and beat the world? No, but we figured out a way to move pieces around. And I think that, if, if, again, if I have a concern for Memphis, if there is one, which I'm, I'm kind of backing off the ledge a little bit here. Um, Brian's really helping me with that because I, I was ready to jump off the deep end. Uh, the pot, positive Paul. That positive Paul is rubbing off on me. Josh would be so proud. Um, but if I do have a concern, it is one of my followers on Twitter said it week one or week three, and it has stuck with me all year. Memphis plays battleship football. And what I mean by that is Memphis looks like they are calling plays to call plays. And I mean that on both sides of the ball. I'm not picking on Kevin. I, you know, I'm not going to pick on Kevin. I'm not really picking on Mac. Like, but Memphis just doesn't look like they have a plan like that that's that is and that is a worry for me um is it unexpected with a legit first year because again I don't really count last year is that unexpected with a legit first year head coach who's never been anything other than a position coach um not a bit unexpected but I would have expected it to kind of get better as it went and it just never seemed like it did once we once Memphis got past those. Uh, every look, for those who don't know, every coach skips their or scripts their first ten to twenty plays. It depends on the coach. And it felt like once on both sides of the ball, we got past those ten to twenty plays. We had nothing. Like Memphis had no answers. If the other team changed something, Memphis had. Here's no where I go back to the personnel. Think about if Brady White did in fact come back and played this year, do you think Memphis's offense would have played any differently? Yes. See, that's where I say personnel. That's why That's why I, I don't I'm, – I'm not going to blame Kevin Johns or, or Silverfield because I really do think it was just a young team, young, inexperienced offense. Hurt offense. Yeah. But, but I don't disagree with that, but I also don't want to gloss over the fact that if your personnel is limited, then as a coach, your responsibility, you have, you have two responsibilities if you're a coach. 
keep kids healthy and happy, and put them in a position to win a game. And number, well, number number one's not really their fault. I mean, healthy and happy is relative. These are 18, 22-year-old kids. If you know, people are like, why won't you coach football? And I'm just like, well, let me give you the list of the former cup representatives. And that's why I would have caught a charge 10 years ago. Um, but but as you look at this and you go, okay, we took four games towards the end of the season trying to run the football, just beating our head against the wall. At some point, you got to go, you know what? Brandon Thomas ain't walking back out on that field. Our offensive line is – talk about a position group that was decimated by injury. Our offensive line just can't do it. Although I want to talk about that in a second because I did find some interesting stuff about that. So at what point do you go, you know what? Seth, Asa, Calvin, Sean, we ain't got much, but you all we got. Like that, at some point, that's what has to happen. Again, I don't get into this elite stuff because, I mean, that's, you know, it's like we had a debate for five years. Is Joe Flacco an elite quarterback? I mean, my God, all he did was win championship. Um, but I do think, Larry, that a process and a plan is critical when you don't have the elite play calling. Well, I, I, I think we, we talked about when you have – here's my thoughts on process and plan is the first thing you have to have is a style. You have to have something that you like to do. And then you can go and recruit players that fit that. And that's your process and your plan. And to me, that's how you do it. So we talked about that on this show. What does Ryan Silverfield, if he could draw out a, a, a game, what, what does it look like? What does that look like? How does, does he want to play um, the way we won at Arkansas State? No. Because that's been pretty rare for him. Or, or does he want to play like, um, and honestly, this is the way he seems to like to play, is uh, ball control, try to control the clock, and um, sort of the way we played SAU in, 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 the, in the bowl game last year. Run the ball, throw when you have to, and that's great. But that's not the way that the kids at Memphis like to play. They like to play wide open. And I, I don't know, like I, and, and here's the problem guys. I don't know what he likes. I don't know that he knows what he likes, but until you figure what your style is, you can't recruit. You can't go out and say, he's the three-star. Let's go get him. Because you, you, you describe battleship play calling. That's battleship recruiting. That's just, we'll go take him because he's, he's rated high and we think he can play. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Does he fit what you want to do? Well, and guys, that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, he's proven he could recruit. Yeah. Two years ago, he had the. Yes, the he can rate. recruit. Yes, you know? he can. But, but the, can he recruit guys that play the way he wants to play? But it doesn't. But there's two schools in recruiting, just like there's two schools in drafting. Do we go get the guy that fits our system or do we go get the best guy and we figure the system out later? Like those are the two different ways you look at it. Like, and, and Ryan Sofield's way, for better or worse, 
is I want the best guys. But then it's incumbent on he and the staff to then do what you are talking about and going, we have a Memphis has a dynamic wide receiver in Calvin Austin and a dynamic tight end in Sean Dykes. How many ways can Memphis get those guys the football between the two of them 25 times on a Saturday? What does Memphis have to do to get the ball in those guys' hands? And then when when Calvin moves on and when Sean moves on, which will be next year, we talk about on time, next man up. How how does Memphis get the ball in Kyle Matthews' hands? How does Memphis get the ball in Rock Taylor's hands? And for my guy Brian here, how does Memphis get the ball in Eddie Lewis's hands? Because talk about a guy that really – you want to talk about development as the season rolled on? That dude got better and better and better every week. You saw it in his route running. You saw it in his blocking. Like, Eddie Lewis got better and better as the year went on. Rock Taylor, when he finally found his way to the field, he played great. Kobe Drake did exactly what Memphis asked of him this year. Catch little passes across the middle, turn around that little five-yard square in, and fair catch punts. That's all he was asked to do, and he did a fine job at that. Um, and, and, you know, if we're being honest, Eddie Lewis's development gives me hope and a little optimism. Because then you look at the other side, and did anybody, and again, he was hurt, who knows how much of the year, Javon Ivory took a huge step backwards this year. Now, was that injury? Was that hurt feelings was that not knowing what we're doing the battleship thing that the theme here is Memphis just seemed like they just ran plays to run plays and we'll figure it out as we go and you know every, we're all right none of us are wrong because it all fits together like the job of an elite play caller is to be uh, what's his name in uh, Waterboy that just looks across the field and he sees the puppy. Like that's that's what a play caller does. Is he looks at the other guy and he knows, I got this. Like the kicker yep. in that game who's like, where's my B? Where's my right there? He because he looked and he found the guy oh, that yeah, was the no most bit. scared. <laughs> um, oh, and kudos. Well, back to the game real quick. JJ Russell recovers the onside kick. There's nothing more fitting than a guy who was the literal heart and soul of this team getting that recovery of that onside kick that potentially saved winning season um but anyway so there's a lot of questions going into the offseason we we will dive deeply into that uh here in a couple weeks um once the ball game is over we're going to kind of do a post-mortem on the season and give us all a time to really gather our thoughts because it's hard week to week because you kind of get in the fog of war like a little bit where it's just things are coming and changing and so now that we'll have a couple of weeks, we can go watch a little film. We can go look at some numbers and, and come back and be a little more, um, maybe a little more 30,000 foot instead of just being down in the weeds with everything. We're going to step aside for just a moment. And when we come back, we will talk about uh, the Tigers bowl game coming up in Hawaii. We don't have a lot to talk about because don't really know who we're going to play, but we'll get into some of that. And I want to talk about silly season. This has been the greatest silly season of all time. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Tigers Tonight. 
Hey everybody, John here, and while Memphis Tigers football is of course one of my passions, happy to host Tigers tonight, I do have a second passion, and that is travel. I'm a full-service travel agent, and I love to help families make their next great memory through an unforgettable vacation. Maybe that's a Caribbean cruise, maybe it's a cruise somewhere like Antarctica, maybe it's a idea of a great vacation is just laying by a beach at an all-inclusive resort or maybe you've been dreaming of that trip to Disney. I'm here to help you make those dreams come true no matter what type of vacation you're looking for. Hey, for Tigers Tonight listeners, I've got a special deal. If you book a vacation with me anytime during the Memphis football season, I'll give you 25 bucks off your vacation just for mentioning you heard about me on Tigers Tonight. In addition, I'll waive my normal planning fee of 50 bucks. That's just for our listeners here on Tigers tonight. So just shoot me an email over at john at travelbyjohn.net and we'll get the planning set process started. Again, that's john at travelbyjohn.net. Welcome back, everyone, to the large program. John Maddox, Larry Marley, Brian Moss with you, Tigers, tonight. Tigers are headed to the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl on. Christmas Eve, it'll be at uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. It'll be broadcast on ESPN. It is the only game on television uh, that day. Unless the Does the NFL play on Friday night at that point in the season? I can't ever remember because I don't watch it. So. Don't they think so. so. I think they have some games. I think they have some games on that Saturday, but not which, Friday. Which will be Christmas Day. Um, yeah, because I think the NFL has tried to kind of move around a little bit because of the NBA, because they kind of tend to dominate Christmas Day. So Memphis headed to the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, the only thing we do know is we will play a Mountain West team. Uh, earlier in the week, I heard Wyoming. Then that kind of shifted to Nevada, which then became Boise State, which then became Fresno State, which then became possibly Air Force. Um if we're be if you took the Memphis coaching staff and sat them down in their heart of hearts, and I said, Ryan Silverfield, how much are you worried about game planning for a particular opponent in a ball game, Brian? What do you think his percentage of worry would be? About worried uh, about the, the a particular opponent, like getting a game plan together December first. It, I think the worry is kind of high right now because there's so many teams it could be. It'd be a lot easier if it was just one or two teams. But, I mean, we've heard anywhere from, like you said, what was it, five teams? A different teams, yeah. yeah. So I think they would – I think obviously you want to win. So I think, you know, looking at Wyoming, that's the easiest route. Eyeball-wise, you know, and storyline-wise, I think, you know, Boise State would be – the one you want uh, because of that, you know, the top two for the big 12 2.0, whatever, um, you know, I, I think they're, they're worried about not necessarily the opponent. I, I think they're more worried about their own team, the health. That's can what I mean. That's can it. they get healthy enough? And, um, and now that you talking about the silly season, that transfer portal is popping <laughs> i mean talking about hot off the presses like seems like every you know every other second there's a you know a, a new person in the portal so, so i i think it's a, their their stress level is higher than normal right now trying to keep everything together and then trying to figure out who they're going to play yeah well what i meant was like you've got is it 15 practices i believe it's 15, 15 yeah. between now and christmas eve well 
15 between now and the week of Christmas because you'll get on a plane and fly to Hawaii, you know, 17th, 18th. I, I don't know the schedule. They haven't released it yet, but, um, and then you'll have a couple. They know yet. Huh? Yeah, they probably they don't know yet. yet. And you'll have a couple of quote practices in Hawaii because, you know, that'll go really well. That'll be super easy to pull off and maintain guys composure and, and whatnot is, is practicing in Hawaii. Um, I think it's more about that. Like, obviously you want to win. Nobody wants to lose, but I think it'd probably be right now. It's probably about 70%. What have we got and getting our guy, because at the end of it, Larry, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. It's about getting ready for next year. Well, that's part of it. And it for sure. And part of it's getting ready for next year. Part of it is for the seniors to kind of enjoy one last, go around um you do want to win you always want to win if you walk out on the field and don't want to win um then you know then you don't need to be playing but having said that i know what you guys are saying it's like okay you're um you're gonna you're not gonna we're not gonna win the national championship and we're not gonna win the ac championship because we win or lose the hawaii ball okay um but I think what's most important, what I want to see is confidence. I want to see them build some confidence in, in, in and like you guys say, practice, um, do some things. Let's see, let's see some of the young players play better. Um, and Javon Ivory, this is a good chance for him to go out and make some plays. Maybe he has been hurt. Maybe he can go out, make some plays, get some confidence before the spring. Because here's, here's, a, here's a fun fact for everybody that, that, that people, I think, outside of like a football crowd don't understand. So you literally have about 10 to 12 weeks from when you come back from, from, from fall break or from, from Christmas until spring. It's usually about nine weeks, actually. And and so, and that sounds like a lot of time. It's not because you're banged up, you're bruised, and then you're going right back into spring. And 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 this spring, as you guys said, is huge. It is it is a big big spring. It's a big spring for the players, and let's call it for what it is, guys. It's a really big spring for the coaches, right? We're probably going to have some staffing changes. Brian, do you not agree with that? I mean, somewhere there's going to be staffing changes. Yeah, I think, significant? I think so, because, I mean, it's obviously it's already been reported by now that, you know, Coach Mack is, a, you know, he applied for Akron and he had interest in Jacksonville State and uh, looks like won't get either one of those. Uh, so he may have to go the FCS route. But I, I think he's on the way out. We'll see. And, you know, depending on where he goes, how, how, how many assistants does he take with him? So I think uh, Silverfield will have – I think he's doing it right now, you know, looking for some replacements. So, I mean, think about that. <laughs> Not only are you trying to prepare for a ball game, prepare for an opponent you don't know yet, trying to hire, a, uh, you know, replacements for, for your staff and trying to figure out who, who's going to – who do you want to stay and who do you want to leave on top of the players. Who do you want – you know, which players do you want to keep? Because just because a player has that extra year of eligibility to be a super senior, that doesn't mean you have to keep them. Yeah, and with the transfer portal, I mean, that's, you know, 
we were jo- I was joking with the poor guy. I don't know who the poor guy is that runs the Rivals NCAA Transfer Portal site, but like whoever that dude is deserves like six months off. I think that's Woody. Yeah. So let's give Woody like uh, I'll start a GoFundMe. Let's send that guy somewhere nice and give him like a two month break because it's insane. It is literally the second t- every other tweet on my timeline. Like this guy's uh, going in the portal. This guy's going in the portal, and. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, it's it is a balancing act of, you know, yes, winning the game is important. And, and you know, look, your seniors want to win, right? They don't want to lose. They don't want to be the Memphis team that, you know, pulled the season back from the brink and then go to Hawaii and lose. But then let's also be real. Several of these guys are in line to make some money. Am I really going to go to Hawaii? I'm going. I mean, I'm going to go to Hawaii. Let's be abundant. Well, somebody else would go to yeah, Hawaii. Let's be, let's, real. Let's be abundantly clear there. Uh, there's one person on this call that would go to Hawaii. Um, currently fighting with his doctor. <laughs> currently fighting with the doctor to go. Um, like actually throwing hands with the doctor. It wasn't a good scene. Um, anyway. Damn. <laughs> but let's be clear. If you're if you're an NFL guy and you're like. I'm a projected third round pick. And I'm not going to call any names because everybody knows who it would be. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to take my trip to Hawaii. And yeah, you know I mean, what? You, you go to Hawaii. You, 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 you do your practices, and then you know, like you say, you may have Hawaii flu. Yeah, and and um, you know what? And if anybody said anything to any of those kids that chose to do that, you want to talk about throwing hands? I'll be ready to throw hands because. Hell, Daryl Henderson didn't play in a bowl game after his freshman year. Yeah. I well, mean, not one. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be, you know, you had your little rant. I, I want to be clear about something. And I've noticed it with the transfer portal and with the, the stupid coaching searches. When things don't go your way, which I, apparently I've been told, I thought it was just me, but apparently that's life in general. Who knew? I thought it was just me. <laughs> Uh, friends used to call me Black Cloud. Felt like I always had Black Cloud on my. So you know, learn learn something new today. <laughs> Craziest thing ever. Anyway, when when things don't go your way, and that be your coach leaves, player enters transfer portal, you're recruiting a player, you don't get him. You're a damn adult. Act like one. I, I can't tell you how many times over the past few days I've seen it. Uh, players about other players. Um, gr- alleged grown-ups about 18-year-old kids, alleged grown-ups about uh, coaches. You know, I, I'll just say it for what it is. I've seen more Lincoln Riley slander from the University of Oklahoma in the past 24 hours than I've ever seen for any coach that chose to leave anywhere. It's, well, he was on the way down. It's a good thing he left because his time here was running <laughs> short. What in the hell are you talking about? Like, well, he's taking all his recruits with him. Well, they're taking all the recruits with him. Nobody's, I saw one today and it just made me laugh. And Mark Ennis actually retweeted Mark's a a University of Louisville supporter. He's a great guy, despite the fact that he's sports University of Louisville. I don't hold that against everybody. Um, Really smart football guy, knows a lot about football. And the, the guy said to him, no program has ever had to go through this. And, you know, I chimed in and said, Memphis is where I want to be, John Vincent Calipari. And Mark yeah. Mark had a point. Mark's like, 
oh, this is terrible. Has your football coach ever been fired in the middle of the coaches show? Which that's the last time they fired Petrino. Literally, there's a screen grab of Petrino's on the screen for inside the cards. And the crawler down below says the University of Louisville has fired Bobby Petrino. Has your coach ever gotten up and walked out of a dinner with recruits to one school to accept the job at another school and not return to the table? Oklahoma, Notre Dame, welcome to what we have all dealt with for years and years and years. This is just literally, and in fairness to them, Notre Dame has never fired a coach. Coaches always left. Now, there were a couple guys that, we're about to get fired, but they left. So when you think about that and, and how that entitlement passes down, but what that does not do is it does not give you a right to criticize a man's family. Like I've seen a gauntlet of it and somebody did make a great point. They're like the first word, the first part of the word fanatic ain't rational. It's fan fans are short for fanatics, but I'm just like, guys, like pump the brakes, you know, Oklahoma. No, I don't feel sorry for you. I know we have an Oklahoma fan that happens to listen to this podcast. So guess what? I don't feel sorry for you because you tried to, if you could have packed up the Mayflower van and left Norman, Oklahoma and moved to Birmingham, Alabama last summer and joined the sec, you'd have done it in a heartbeat. So guess what? Suck it up, buttercup. You're just getting a little bit of your own karma back. You're just mad because a prettier girl came along and took your girlfriend away, took your, took her away. Pretty a better looking dude came and took your girlfriend away. Well, the rest and, of us have- and here's the thing: they, they, they got what they, they they got what they wanted. They, they're going to the SEC, right? That's what they all wanted. Because boy, when they got it, boy, they were crowing. And then all of a sudden, their coach goes, "You know what? I don't really want to do that." And for a lot of reasons, you can say he's scared or whatever. I, we we openly talk about because this is a silly season. Let's go ahead and, and bring up what Kelly did, okay? He left Notre Dame to go to LSU. Now, we all know why, because it's a lot easier to get players into LSU than it is to Notre Dame. Say it for what it is, right? Money helps but, it. Yeah, but money, money doesn't hurt. Money doesn't hurt. He's going to get a whole lot of money. But – Boy, oh boy, is he going to be beating his head up against the wall, taking on all those teams. And his his fans expect him to get them into the playoffs every year. And he they don't want to hear that, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, like they all got great players too. We don't want to hear that. We're not interested in that. Well, I mean, you know, but hey, Kudos. I, I'm, I'm just saying. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to assume that Jimmy Sexton is Brian Kelly's agent. I, again, I don't know. There really should be a list somewhere. Uh, I just automatically assume that Jimmy Sexton. There should be a list everybody. of the players. There should be a list of coaches that aren't a Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> That'd be a much shorter list. That would be a shorter list. <laughs> um, I, so I just assume that. But did you see the provision in his contract where if they fire him and he has won a national title, he is entitled to a hundred percent. And if they fire him and he hasn't, it's 90%. Like, dude, that is, Brian, that is super shrewd. Like that, because you just look at history and go, the last two guys they fired won a national title. Yeah, no, that was <laughs> great on his part. I saw that and I was like, man, that's uh, that Jimmy Sexton is something else. And 
Man, I, I wish we could have a rivals contract like that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, my rivals contract. We're not even going to talk about. Um, but yeah, it, it just I'm I'm just amazed. And you know, Lincoln Riley did look. We were just talking about it with kids, right? Going playing in ball games. Lincoln Riley made a business decision. He said. And I don't know that I agree with this because history's not on the side of this. I can go to the Pac-12, and it's easier for me to make the playoff than it is if I go to the SEC. And my only comeback with that is, well, it's a little premature because you don't know what the SEC is going to really look like um, if you get stuck in the division with Alabama. And if you know Larry, being an LSU fan, LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M. Texas, like if that's your division, dude, how fast could I get to Southern California? Because I don't Hell want yeah. to do that. But again, I had to tell somebody well, even, this today. We are thinking like even normal, if you take Alabama out of it, John. Even if you take Alabama yeah. out of that, yeah. I mean that that look that, that, that that's that's the no fun league right there. And as an LSU fan, like we know we're going to get screwed. So I mean, like I can guarantee you, if they if they can find a way to put us in the hardest, you know, then now here we go, buddy. These these poor (laughs) these uh, poor mistreated LSU fans that the last two coaches are combined winning percentage of like eighty nine percent. These poor mistreated LSU fans. I. You know, I talked about a GoFundMe for somebody else earlier. You know, maybe I should just start it for the LSU fans. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. No, they'd have it. They'd have it. They'd have it all drunk down by noon, anyway. So, what would it matter if I started it? You're right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's just funny to watch how people behave, and people would then say, "Well, why are you guys talking about coaching jobs on a Memphis podcast?" Well, the answer is simple. There's going to be a trickle down effect at some point. It's going to trickle down. Somebody hires an offensive coordinator. Somebody hires an offensive coordinator from here. It could be a simple thing. Hey, I want to take an offense, and I'm just going to make this up. Uh, I want to take the wide receiver coach for Memphis. He's done a great job this year, and we're going to make him the offensive coordinator for Troy. Again, just making that up, thin air. Just changes I could think of off the top of my head. Um, Coach McIntyre, if we're going to be blunt, Memphis really probably can't afford him after this year. Uh, His Ole Miss salary is – expunged from the record so he's looking to continue making a really good living and brian i think you said it somewhere earlier today like defensive coordinator in the american athletic conference head coach at new hampshire hmm because the money while it's not the same is relatively close no um, stress no stress and max not a young guy like that's the other side like max getting up there a little bit and he goes you know what I could go be a head coach in the FCS. I could, I could go to, I don't know, pick an FCS, pick an OVC school um, and just go be a coach and, and you know, work out my days. So so that's well, why I mean, it matters. I mean, th- th- that's a retirement plan. And, and, and yeah. guys, that's what, for those who don't know, um, if, if anybody remembers Watson Brown, yep. um, former coach at Vanderbilt, he went to Tennessee Tech, and that's what he did. He coached for like 11 years and just, of course he and Mac are from Cookville and, and, and that's he, so for him, that was retirement and he's still the associate AD there. So if you have a connection like that, guys, I mean, when you get into your late fifties and, and, and you can, you can do that. Why the hell not? And he's earned, I mean, right. 
you know, the, I mean, he's, the, he's, look, he was a coach at Colorado. Good God, you earned it, man. Uh, San Jose <laughs> State. Let's go back a little Ooh. further. Um, but no, Ooh. I mean, so that's that's why this stuff matters. And, and frankly, it's interesting to me, Mike. Right? Like, like, I love the psychology of this. Of I had a guy complaining on Twitter today. Well, you shouldn't be able to hire coaches between, uh, or you shouldn't coaches shouldn't be allowed to change jobs between. October 15th and January 20th. And I'm like, great. Couldn't agree more. Players can't transfer then either. Well, no, that's not fair. Well, we said we opened the portal to make it fair, but now you want to put the restrictions on the coaches that were on the players before. So, but, but it's still not going to be fair. So we, you know, people wanted, and I say this about the playoff, everybody clamored about how terrible and unfair the BCS was. And I said, well, in five or six years, everybody is going to be dying for the return of the BCS. Playoffs a dumpster fire. Every year it has been. It's hard enough to pick two teams that are should play for a, play, for a championship, let alone four, eight, 16, this nonsense they're talking about now. And same thing, uh, several of us said, okay, you combine an early signing day with a transfer portal, Pandora's box, because now, see, Coaches don't have to recruit. Coaches have to get free agents. There's a big difference in having to go into a kid's living room, a 17-year-old kid's living room, and convince him to come to Memphis or go to a kid that played at Utah last year. And, again, I just happened to glance up, and I think somebody from Utah just entered the portal and say, hey, well, why don't you come over to Memphis? Because now you're not really recruiting that kid. I mean, you know, you're not acclimating him to college life and all that. And the kid might say, well, you know what? I'll go to Memphis or out of high school because, and if I don't like Memphis, I can just transfer out. Or I can go to Tennessee, and if I don't like Tennessee, I can just transfer out. So it's, uh, what do we call it, the law of unintended consequences, Brian? And I think it's just, it's going to be a mess when you combine this transfer portal with the early signing period. I think if you're, it's, it's already been a mess. And you, you also see players that think they've been overlooked. Well, let me go to Memphis, prove myself for a year or two, and then, you know what, I'll transfer to USC. Memphis had that happen, yeah. you know. So, I mean, it goes both ways, but I, I think this transfer portal is just college free agency. And Memphis is going to hit that transfer portal hard. Because like I said before, um, it, it's a quick fix. Um, get these JUCOs, get these uh, kids that have played two to three years, you know, at some schools that are seasoned. You, you don't have to coach them or develop them as much as a high school kid. So that's where I think you'll see, you know, coaches dip into that portal more and more. Um, Larry, I'll get, I have a question for you in just a second, but I, but I have a question kind of for Brian from a recruiting standpoint. So I've been involved, it's no secret, I've been involved with junior college basketball before, um, broadcast for 10 years. Um, saw all this stuff happen with my own eyes. Do you think the transfer portal, again, an unintended consequence, has the perspective to kill what's left of JUCO? Or is academics enough of an issue to hold it on? No, no, academics will be enough of an issue, but, you know, I I think they'll be maybe less important, maybe, um, because I think uh, coaches will look at, you know, this kid, you know, he killed it at the FCS level. 
So instead of a Juco kid, I'm going to take this kid because, you know, he already has the good grades. He showed, you know, he's proven himself and, you know, maybe he outperformed, you know, his level at the FCS level or, you know, look at other schools. You know, this kid played two, you know, two years under Nick Saban, just wasn't good enough to get on their team. God, he's, he's going to be good enough for our team. So, yeah, I, I think the transfer portal is you see it every year. It, it's more important to go after the portal than it is the JUCO route. Yeah, because I think you, you do because, you know, we were really worried about that junior college basketball that um, there were some changes made at the NCAA level and the NBA and, and stuff like that that um, we worried would hurt. Well, the big thing that happened to that were the degree diploma mills, right? The And I'm not. I'll just say it, IMG Academy and and that whole bunch of that. Are, well, IMG's not, but that there's a whole group of them that basically are defunct now. Um, I think that was the big worry with junior college basketball. Like, if you're a kid, why would you go to a junior college when you could just go here if the end result is the same? Like, if I just got to hang out somewhere for a year to go to the NBA, why am I going to go to, quote, school? Like Cardell Jones, noted poet, famously said, we didn't come here to play no school. Um that's a noted noted poet laureate of the great state of Ohio, Cardell Jones. Um, so I, I just think that's my worry. But I have a little bit of a passion for junior college because I think it, it's a really great place for kids that have grade struggles to go get their grades right. But also, more importantly, JUCO has always kind of been the home of second chances for me. Um, you know, kids that flame, you know, Cam Newton. There you go. There's one. Got kicked out of Florida, made some bad decisions. Um, you know, went to junior college for a year, came back, won a national title. We had Riley three or four. Ferguson. Huh? Riley Ferguson. Yeah. Made some bad decisions. Went to JUCO, got himself together. Uh, we had, when I was doing in the heart of Southwest Tennessee basketball, we had a kid that literally spent 10 years in prison that got to come back and play basketball, got to the national tournament. Like, so JUCO, I think, still has a place there. But, Larry, my question for you as the one here who's played the transfer portal to me is going to cause problems in the locker room because I think you're going to have guys that are going to have one foot out the door early in the season when they know this just ain't going to work. And that's my worry with the transfer portal to me is Larry says, you know what? I'm too good to be at Tennessee tech. I know right now I could be starting at Memphis and it's week three. Like that's my worry. So, yes, I think that could happen. I, I, I do have a little bit of experience with this, um, and I'll tell a brief story in just a second. My, my worry is different. My worry is that you're going to bring a kid in, or let's say, all right, and, this, I, I, and I, I truly believe this may have happened on this year's team to Memphis. So you've got a kid who is, been with your 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 program for two three years he's a red shirt sophomore and he's coming in to his um yeah you know, he's coming in he's been with you now for two full years going into his third season he thinks this is his chance to start and you go and bring a kid in off of the transfer portal and he looks at it and goes wait a minute this was my turn. I sat here and waited and, and 
now you go and bring someone in, you're saying I'm not good enough. To me, I think that is, and I I, I firmly believe that on our offensive side, our offensive line, I think that may have happened. I think we went and got some guys, and the guys that were here looked at it and went, he sucks. You, you, You went and brought him in? I mean, what the hell? And <clears throat> whether he sucked or not, right? I mean, that's neither here nor there. Apparently they, you know. But to, to your point, I, I, yes, I think you could have it, both those scenarios could occur, where a guy thinks he's, he's, he's got one foot out the door and, you know, he doesn't want to get hurt before he goes and transfers out to another school. Um, I think you could also have hurt feelings of the guys you've got. And and that has a trickle-down effect because that guy's been there for two years. He's got buddies that are offensive linemen, and now all of a sudden they don't like the new guy either, right? So the new guy, it, that, that's tough. It's really tough. And this is free agency. Um, and And it's not free agency with adults. That's the difference. It's free agency with 18 to, to 19-year-olds. And, um, look, I have a 17-year-old daughter. They don't need that much freedom. I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad the players have a little more power because I think that, that, that the coaches for years have had all the power. But I don't, I, I'm glad the players have a little more say in what they can do. But I think we got to figure out a way to do it a little more responsibly and a way to um, control it a little better. Having said all that, I do have some personal experience with what you described. We had a kid that, that came in, transferred in from Tennessee, and defensive back. Uh, really good player. Crazy, but really good player. But he, he didn't – I mean, he thought he was better than we all were. Here's the reality. He was a really good player, and probably talent-wise, he was better. But he wasn't a better football player. And it did cause problems, and they had to get rid of him because of that. And so to your point, John, I, I, I am concerned about continuity in the locker room. And I firmly believe, and Brian, you can, you, maybe you can comment on this, but I firmly believe that that may well have happened. And I just mentioned the offensive line because I know we brought in quite a few guys that just didn't quite pan out there. Yeah, and it's a quick way to lose a rock, uh, lose your team, lose it in the locker room because just like you mentioned, you know, a kid that's here, blood, sweat, and tears for a couple of years, all of a sudden it's going to be your turn. You bring someone in that that's not a, you know, a good fit and you just throw everything off. It's all of a sudden now – you have someone that you lose confidence in your coach. You, you don't trust him no more. And on, on the flip side, what if you're you know, a transfer coming into a situation, you know, you're told, hey, you know, you could be a starter. You get there, and so you're expecting, hey, I, I'm expecting to be a starter, but you have your teammate saying, no, 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 you know, I was supposed to be the starter. So you really have to be upfront and honest with players. And I don't know if this is exactly what happened or not, but I'm just I'm just saying it. You know, it's a quick way to lose your locker room if you're not upfront and honest, because then you have, like I said, a guy coming into your your school, your 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 team 
thinking one thing and all of a sudden it you know that's not what it was you were sold a bill of goods so now you look like the bad guy because you're the one coming in you know expecting the start and then you have your teammates looking at you differently so i mean it's you have to be a psychologist as well as a coach yeah i you know that's that's why i said what i said earlier about having and we've talked about this all year like you almost have to have a director of player personnel like you have to have a guy that's good with the numbers first of all and is good with the psychology part of it right because it's right and I, yet another week i get to use a wrestling analogy so all's good in the world um it's like when a a group, a faction brings a new guy in. Well, you always got one or two guys that just aren't quite sure that they just, they don't have a good feeling about this. They don't feel this is going to go well. And sure enough, four weeks later, the guy that they brought in turns on the group and then takes part of the group. And the the other two guys are like, told you so, man, I told you so. And I don't trust you anymore, leader of the group. Um, And then that, of course, I mean, that's all theatrics, but you get my point. It, It, you know, art imitating life, right? Like if you bring a train, like if Brian transfers into Memphis and I'm a safety, I'm a, I'm a fourth year safety, um, free safety. Brian's a, Brian's a free safety. Larry's a strong safety and Brian's played a little bit of both. Um, you know, I've worked my way up the depth chart. Larry's been the guy since he walked through the door, but now Brian and Larry and I are both pushed because we both think since Brian has played at Alabama, we'll just use that for example. I'm sorry. Since Brian started at the great state university of New Jersey, Rutgers, Rutgers there we go. and he transfers to Memphis. Well, that dude played in the big 10. If, you know, and Larry and I are separately thinking, what if we're not good enough now? What, what if we can't play anymore? What if, what if coach doesn't believe in us? And then Larry and I start competing with each other. Because we don't want to be the one that's left. Because, like, obviously, right, somebody's getting left out in this in this scenario. So now that that seeds some turmoil between the two of us, and that's why it's got to be the right guy. It's got to be. There's got to be more than. I mean, you can get away with that in recruiting. You can get away with saying, "I'm going to bring in. I've got a fourth year senior quarterback, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to bring." pick his name up, Tevin Carter, and I'm going to bring him in. Everybody's like, well, why would you bring Tevin Carter if you have Seth Hennigan? Because you don't know where you're going to be in two or three years, and the best opportunity to win is to have as many good quarterbacks as you possibly can. You're, because, again, it's your league you're in. It's it's the way and the game's And you never know move. who's going to get hurt. You never know who's going to get right? hurt. I mean, Yeah, so right. you have all that. But then it's important as because with Transfer Portal, you're bringing what amounts to grown men in. So these aren't kids that have to make an impression. These are kids that can point to numbers and say, Brian, you sucked last year. You gave up eight sacks at Memphis. I played at Utah, and I gave up four sacks in the Pac-12. So I'm going to come in and expect to take that spot. And to be fair, I wouldn't have gone and gotten you if I thought Brian could do the job. So – that's where the transfer portal is different. Recruiting is about building depth, right? Ryan, would you say that's fair? Recruiting is oh, yeah, about building. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's because about building your depth. Guys, unless you're, unless you're, you're, you know, in the lower tier, you I mean, you really don't recruit and say, hey, you can come in and immediately become a starter. Now, I mean, you can say you can come in and get some playing time, but very rarely does, does a kid hear you can come in and be our starter right away. Yeah, the as position freshman, has to be. No. No, not as a freshman. I mean, you, you, 
Are you talking about in the transfer pool? No, he's talking, talking about, about his, recruiting. Uh, as a, yeah, if you go recruiting, recruiting, a, you're recruiting out of high school, because I mean, at, you hear high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They tell me I have a chance to play. Now, no one ever says I have a chance to start. No, but it's always playing time. Yeah, I have a chance to play. Yeah, and you know, because again, and Larry, you brought up a great point. You never know who's going to get hurt. But I just think this is different because, like I said, you're you're going from bringing in 17, 18 year old kids to bring in 19, 20, and 21-year-old men who have played Division I football, be it FCS, FBS. We, we have this discussion every year. There's not that much difference. The difference is the number of kids you have and whatnot. We're not getting to that. But you got guys that played high-level football, so they don't have anything to prove because you wouldn't have come and gotten me if I had something to prove. Like, you, you took me because you thought I could fix a problem. Right. Like you're not you're not bringing uh, an offensive lineman in from Purdue to be a backup. Right? That's not why you're bringing him in, because he fixes a problem. And it's as Brian said earlier, it's that quick fix, man. It's that, you know, we need to fix this problem. And used to it was Juco's like that's how you did it with Juco's. But with Juco's. Different speed of the game, different size. You know, most Juco's I've been in Juco, quote, weight rooms before. I've seen better high school weight rooms than a lot of JUCO. So they, they've never been on a nutrition plan. It's not that different from high school. But this is. This is different because these are kids that have played. They, or they've gone and attended a school for a year. Now, whether they played or not, it's not, but they've been in a program for a year. And you are basically hiring mercenaries when you're going into that transfer portal. Would you all say that's fair? You're hiring guns. Yeah. So that that's my worry. That's my well. I, I think I think it depends on the transfer. Like, so think think about like Taj Washington last year was a what he was he went in as a sophomore or a junior. So I mean, it does depend on who you get, guys. I mean, but 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 I I think in general, the transfer portal is the new and you, like you say junior college, but 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 it's different in this sense, in that in the transfer portal you got guys that are leaving for a bunch of different reasons. Whereas in the JUCO to me, the, 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 so correct me if I'm wrong. When you went to JUCO, that was sort of a way that guys would get the, the, the how I put this, I don't want to say the crazies, but maybe I should just say it that way. The, 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 the crazy dudes would go to JUCO and, and, and they would get sort of sorted out there. They would get sifted through. And the guys that fell through that ended up didn't getting re-recruited, then the coaches kind of knew, okay, yeah, he's crazy. With the transfer portal, it really is like a box of chocolates. Like, you, you think you know what you're going to get, but, boy, maybe you don't. And you don't have that sifter that, that Juco was. Well, I mean, I mean the, am I wrong? Well, no. But the good news you have is even though these guys compete – heavily for one another, for their schools on Saturdays. Most of your, and I'll use that term most very loosely, let's go, some of your coaches are close to one another. You know, it's not a big secret that Gus Malzahn and Mike Norvell are very close. That's that's not a huge, like, not breaking any news here. Memphis got a, and Justin's pretty close with Gus too. Memphis got a couple kids that didn't pan out at Auburn, you know, 
Auburn wanted to hire off Mike's staff. Mike wanted to take him, but Mike, you know, so they, these guys know each other. So what this does do, if you're Ryan Silverfield, I'll just pick on this kid because he just literally popped up on the transfer portal. portal. He played for Georgetown football, which FCS. Uh, he committed to Nebraska today. I don't know who the Georgetown football coach is, but I bet somebody on Nebraska staff picked up the phone when they said, hey, Brady, Brady is interested. He's a transfer long snapper. He's interested in coming to Nebraska. Tell me what I need to know. And these coaches will be open, right? Like they're not going to – because it doesn't do me good to hide anything. Um, no, I don't think you need to take that kid. You know, he, here are his problems. And so you do get a little bit of a filter that way. But that doesn't work when uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State are going to be – you know, a kid from Ole Miss goes in the portal. Mississippi State can't – Mike Leach isn't picking up the phone and calling uh, Jeff Levy and saying, hey, what do you think about you – know, Levy's going to hang the phone up. Like, so that's when it does get tricky. But, you know, as far as the movement stays basically out of conference or tiered, I think you're okay. But I just, I think this is, I think, I don't know that it's the transfer portal that's bad. If it's the early signing period, Brian, I don't have an opinion on the early signing period, really. That's your expertise. I don't think that it's bad either. But I'm wondering if the, combination of the two is going to lead to some very bad decisions by coaches and players alike. Yeah, I think you've seen bad decisions because you you I think with the transfer portal, you can't really do your due diligence um, as well as you can with uh, with high school kids because high school kids, I mean you, you can go out there, you visit them, you, you can actually watch their games, see you know talk to their coaches, family members and neighbors if you want to. Uh, you know, with the transfer portal, you you really just have the kid, and if you know the, co- you know the coaching staff of where they came from, you, you, yes, there's some tape, but I, I think you could just you can investigate more with the high school kid. So you really have to, I guess, use your instincts better or more with the transfer portal. And it, to me, it's easier to miss on a kid in the portal than it is to miss on a kid in high school. Yeah. I mean, I think it also comes down to, um, you know, I, I used head coach as an example. It's it's the assistant coaches that are doing all this groundwork, right? Like they're the ones that are, you know, I got a friend that coaches over here and this friend coaches over here. I'm going to put him in touch. You know, the wide receiver coach and the DB coach don't know each other, but I'm going to, you know, hey, can you can you hook me up with the DB coach over at yada, 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 because the kid wants to transfer. Like that's where the work gets done. That's where that filter kind of happens. But, you know, we're humans right? Like we're humans. We have personal biases. We have, you know, like if I was a coach and I'll just pick on him because I love him. I think he's great for the game. If Lane Kiffin picked up the phone and said, Hey, John, I got a wide receiver. He's about two inches too small. Um, his 40 time is a click off, but man, the kid can really play. Like he, he can really play. Um, I'm really looking for a home for him. He, you know, he's from, He's from Grenada, Mississippi. He doesn't want to go out, and there's no way in hell I'm sending him to state. Um, is that somebody you'd have room for? Well, that, that's how that works. Like, that's that's how the process works. Um, some guys would go, no, Kiffin, I know what Kiffin's trying to do. He's trying to give me a bad apple and and just, you know, he's he's using this kid as a pawn, yada, yada, yada. So it all comes down to those relationships, and, and having those relationships are what benefits the kids. And – I just, this transfer portal, man, I just worry about 
But the one thing I think it will do, and I know this is going to sound crazy after the year where we've had, was it 20% of the FBS make coaching changes. I think what this might do is slow the coaching carousel down a little bit because you can fix problems faster with the transfer portal than you could before. Yes, expectations are up, but if Memphis lost four offensive linemen, Memphis could go get four offensive linemen faster than they could uh, They could what's the word for um, grow? What's the develop? Word? Yeah, develop. Thank you. Um, faster than they could develop four guys. Like you could just go get, you know, if you lost your defensive line, you just go get three big dudes from Central Arkansas, somewhere else, and somewhere else, and plug them in and let's go. Um, I think that might, after it all settles down, slow the slow the coaching carousel down a little bit. Larry, your thoughts on that? Possibly. I, I, I think more of what it's going to do is, is you're going to see more coaches get fired midseason the way we did this year because the guys are going to be like, we've got to have somebody in place who, you yeah. know, to, to, sort of like hiring Laura and those. So the, the answer to your question is, yeah, probably. Like, let's be honest. Um, if, and I'm going to be a million percent honest with everybody who listens to this. If we didn't have an early signing period this year, I think the book would still be out. Maybe not as much, but the book, I think, would still be – the seat on Ryan Silverfield would still be a little warm. I mean, if he went and just got thrashed and, 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 and recruiting went horrible or recruiting was not going well, I think there's, a, there's still a chance that he, he could be fired after the bowl. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Let me be very clear. I don't think that would have happened anyway. But my point is <clears throat> that, that having this early signing period, you got to make a decision on a coach by now. You can't, it can't last because you got to have a guy in place. That's why Brian Kelly couldn't hang around and coach uh, Notre Dame to see if they got in the playoff. He can't, they can't wait. LSU has got to have him in place right now. And, and so it, I think more than anything, that's what it's going to lead to. It's just crazy stuff like this where a guy gets fired in October and they're like, you know what, we're not sure. You got to go because we're going to have another guy in place. And so, yes, I think you're going to see coaches get to stay because of the early signing period. You can't fire him after – you know, basically the early signing period. And, and then you'll see coaches get fired mid season. Yeah. I think that, I think you're probably right there. I think that will increase there. I think you're going to see coaches fired more often or, or less often, but earlier in the process. If y'all knew what I dealt with on this podcast, it'd be crazy. Um, the constant movement of talk about constant movement, try to do a podcast with two cats in the room. There's your constant movement for you. Um, but yeah, seriously, I, you know, I think that it, it'll do both. I think we're all right again, that I don't think the, no, I think the number of coaches that get fired for lack of performance will decrease, but you will see an uptake uptick in not only we got to fire our guy in October, but we got to hire our guy in October. Um, because didn't I read like UConn's doing this weird thing and we'll wrap up right after this. We're like, Jim Moore is actually going to be on the field for the bowl game. Like he's going to coach. Like that is it UConn yeah. I'm thinking about? Yeah. Like, wow. 
Like, but you know, I mean, I guess that's the way to do it. If you know, because then the kids are probably going to play harder because they're for lack of, they're auditioning for the new coach. Um, but yeah, I think it's crazy. Um, I think I, I just don't like that the two are going to be so intricately tied together. The early recruiting period, the opening of the transfer portal, and the ridiculous amount of money that is flowing in college football right now. The ridic- let me say that, ridiculous amount of money that is flowing in college football right now. Because one of the byproducts that people don't understand about Brian Kelly's deal at LSU, now Nick Saban, his contract, which I know he's a Jimmy Sexton client, he has to be paid more than the average of the top three SEC coaches or the top five coaches nationally, whichever is higher. But that's dude. That that's how you do it. The, the kids call that finesse. Like that's how you do it. You you go and you, yeah. But look, and let me also be clear. And I'll I'll end with this. These people that talk about how much money coaches are making and how that's hurting the school. I said it yesterday on Twitter, and a couple people responded and agreed. They have no clue how contracts are paid. Like they they don't have any understanding of how any of this works. Nick Saban has been given a bargain to the University of Alabama for the revenue that he generates. It's a bargain, like major bargain. Lincoln Riley, same thing will be at USC. Brian Kelly at LSU, it's a bargain. It's cheap. So that's why they pay him this exorbitant money is because, I mean, that's what they're, you know, Nick Saban is worth probably twice what he makes in terms of if you did compensation versus performance, like that whole thing, it's twice what he makes. So. You don't understand it. The school does not pay Nick Saban, whatever it is, $8 million or whatever. The school, I think, is on the hook for – I know at Memphis, I haven't looked in a long time. At Memphis, it used to be 250000 I think, is what the school was on the hook for, and the boosters pay for the rest. Um, so it doesn't take away from academics. Stop. That argument's just not correct. Well, why don't the boosters give that much money to the math department? Because the math department doesn't generate revenue. Like, that's – because that's, but that is the, the thing that drives me the craziest. People look at college sports as some beautiful bastion of amateurism. It's a business. Folks are paid to produce. It's a business. It generates money. It is important to the school for exposure. And there's it, no fair. Right. There is no fair okay. because, because I got news for all these people. There's no fair in life. Like the, there's no, oh, that's not fair. Well, you know what? Don't get me down that road. But there there are a lot of things that happen in this life that aren't fair, okay? And if you're looking to college football for fairness, you need to have your head examined because it's like the rest of the world. He who has the gold makes the rules. And we can argue about how the gold gets distributed, but there's a reason that a group of five team, until this year maybe, I'm still not sold 100% on it, has never been in the playoff because they don't spend enough money and generate enough revenue to be included in that group. It's not about players. It's about revenue. It's about being a well, business. Well, and I'm going to add I'm gonna add one thing to that. The, the people that are making a lot of money don't want other people to be considered good enough to do that either. Right. And so it's not a conspiracy. It's, it's they're scared to money. death that Cincinnati is going to – well, right, it's protecting your money. Right, they're scared to death. Cincinnati is going to get in there and win a game. Holy shit! He's my friend. 
Because because if that happens, then all of a sudden the the, the whole facade it's not a facade. It, it's real, but but the whole thing of there's these teams and there's these teams, well that's all muddied now. And 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 if you if everybody's the same, then there's nobody wanting to watch the elite. All right. And, and so, again, this is anyway, anyway. That's yeah. that's enough of that. All right. But so let's end with John. what's in with this. Uh, one last sense. question before you end. Okay. Over the over under of how many coaches are changed. I won't say fired or, or released or how many coaching changes at Memphis. Over under three. I'll take the over. I'll take the, I'll take the over. And I, and I'll go this at least two of the coordinators, at least. And you want to talk about? Go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say it's it's going to be interesting. Real quick, you're going to talk. You talk about having a rough sled next year. Try two or three new coordinators. That that makes the job a lot harder. Um, so one quick question before we end here tonight, and then I'll wrap things up. Yes or no? Brian, I'll start with you. Does Cincinnati make the playoff? I say yes, but I want no just so I can see college football erupt. <laughs> That's right. So I do think they actually make it, but I'm hoping that they don't. Larry? I think they make it. Uh, it's, it, it would be really, really, really hard. Here's the problem. If they don't make it, then you never they're going to have to justify. Well, right, because then, right, here's why. So let's say they let in a two-loss team. It, you're going to then have to justify to another two-loss team why you didn't get in. That's a harder argument than just letting Cincinnati in and hoping they get their brains beat in. I don't think they get in and I've been the only one to say this all year, I don't think they deserve to get in. When you look at the numbers, when you take the names away from it and you look at the numbers, Cincinnati has played one team in the the power football index with a ranking higher than 40. They've played one team in the SP Plus with a ranking higher than 40. Every other school has played four or more. Now, can we say the computers are stacked against – I'm not interested in that argument. I don't think they get in, and I don't think they deserve to get in because they they played one. They did the Boise thing, right? They played one step up game, and they beat Notre Dame. Other than that, what did they? What have they accomplished? If and I'm assuming, well, let's assume that Saturday goes as it probably will, and they win. Is that good enough to keep Notre Dame or? Well, I mean, Notre Dame, to me, is a dumb argument because Cincinnati beat them head-to-head. But if Oklahoma State goes and blows out uh, whoever they play in the Big 12 championship, they go in there and blow them out, huh? Baylor, and they've already beat Baylor this year, I believe. They go in there and they beat Baylor 45-10, to 10 and Cincinnati wins 28-24. You're going to tell me that Oklahoma State doesn't deserve to be in? Like, that's that's where it becomes – but, again, deserve and fair – are words we shouldn't use in this discussion because there's no right answer. All right, so our schedule is, since we talked for over an hour here, I think in the second half tonight, our schedule is we uh, we knew we were going to take a couple weeks off, so we we uh, lengthened it out here tonight. So we're going to take a couple weeks off. After this week, we will be back the week before the bowl and then the week after the bowl, and then in January, we're going to go once or twice a month. So 
That's kind of the schedule for the rest of the year. So for the best co-co-host in all the land, Larry Marley, Brian Moss, this is John Maddox signing off saying go Tigers go and we'll talk to everybody in two weeks. Opinions expressed on this program by our guests and hosts do not represent the opinion of their employers or the University of Memphis. This podcast is in no way endorsed or affiliated with the University of Memphis. Join us again next week for another edition of Tigers Tonight.